arguably one of the most important aspects to overall health and mental health. I mean, I, I think the stats are that um, overall there isn't uh, a psychiatric disorder that isn't affected by sleep. Right. So with every client, I'll check their sleep. Yeah. And we'll go over it. It's it's that important. Um, and actually, it's one of the largest um factors into um all type mortality so if you reduce your sleep if we're if we're having low amounts of sleep then you are high risk to um to dying Mm. or or cause mortality so that's pretty wild and then obviously the the inverse of that is that um it's it's also correlated with longevity yeah um so i mean that makes sense as as well um so it's it's one of the most important things and and it affects it affects everything. Yeah, and the biggest thing with sleep, which I find interesting, is your sleep cycle and the differences in the type of cycle. So mm-hmm. comparing a deep sleep to your REM mm. sleep. Yeah, let's break that down. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> well, because from my understanding, deep sleep is your most important phase of the sleeping cycle. Is that correct? Um, I personally wouldn't say that. <laughs> so all sleep's good. Okay. All sleep's good. Okay, right. so you've got deep sleep and you've got REM sleep, your rapid eye movement sleep. Mm-hmm. There's four different stages of sleep and we go through them up and down like that, like a cycle. So you go through those four stages um, of, of sleep throughout the night. They're about 90-minute cycles, so give or take. Right. So <clears throat> your deep sleep is at the start of the um, your, your sleep time and so there's lots of wonderful things that are associated with that. That's more when we look at the physical... Um, restoration of the body so more testosterone is released then um, human growth hormone is sort of throughout but <clears throat> that's part of it so we're physically um, getting we're physically being restored REM sleep it happens more at the the second part of the night and that is so important for our emotional well-being um, it's almost like doing emotional first aid. Right. Um, and because what's actually happening <clears throat> is that your brain, your, your frontal cortex um, is where you do all your higher order thinking and your operating and your logic and everything like that. That gets shut down. And what actually happens is the limbic system ramps up. So this notion that people have that when we're sleeping that the, the brain is reduced or quiet, it's like, no, 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 there's lots of areas that light up. <clears throat> they, they get more active when you sleep. And so um, what, what was happening is that limbic system is where we have all our emotions, right, where we store our emotions. So when we see, um, I guess, individuals that unfortunately uh, with ASD, they have a slightly different um, limbic system and so it's hard for them to be emotive and experience emotions. Um, And so what's actually happening when you sleep is that we're we're shutting down that operating, the the frontal cortex is like the CEO. It's, 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 you know, kind of controlling everything. Limbic system is our full emotions. So Mm. that's why when you... If you're ever aware that you do sometimes understand what's happening or, or that you at least remember what happens in, in sleep is that a lot of the times in the dream, <clears throat> you don't have a great orientation to, to person, time and place and setting. You're just suddenly there. And so those main things there. that something is happening. Yeah, yeah. Bit of a thrill. So, <laughs> and and by definition, it's psychotic that you you don't yeah. have orientation to self, time, or place. That's psychotic by by definition. Just so, dipping our toes into that pool. Yeah, time is nothing. <laughs> Once a night. But it, but and we laugh, but it's so 
it's so needed. It's, yeah. it's a necessity because what it allows you to do is it does a range of things, but from this emotional side of things, it it allows you to almost have your own bit of therapy within it that you get to then experience all these different emotions, all these different scenarios. And we're not quite exactly sure um, of, of what's happening there and in that aspect, but it seems to be when we look at studies that individuals, um, if we... Uh, reduce the amount of REM sleep so they, they get the sleep at the start and, and at the end we cut it off that <clears throat> what what sees is that they are emotionally labile and they've got lots of yeah. stuff going on the right. next day um, and so you know you, you're more uh, irritable it's difficult okay so and the and but equally at the so the saying being you know you wake up on the wrong side of the bed that's actually due to your REM cycle and coming out of yep, it too wrong, early the wrong that's time it. of the cycle <clears throat> yeah right yeah that's it so so again we don't want like it blows my mind that people have these crazy iPhone um, the, the sleep alarms. measuring things no the oh, alarms oh that they, they wake you up they wake you up because um, you don't always know what cycle you're in so if you get woken up in stage four sleep in that heavy REM sleep and oh, you're going from inception dreamland yeah. to all of a sudden reality, it's really... It feels startling. Yeah. It feels yeah. bad. It, it's, your mind's like, what? You know, what, what's happening there? Um, and it's really confronting. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> we'll go into a whole lot of tips and stuff like that to help people with what, what to do there um, with, with their sleep. But So that's not great to have super loud alarms. But so anyway, the importance is that both are really important. They mm-hmm. just do slightly different things. Right. Um, yeah. So I could only speak for my own experience there, but I would say that often in my dreaming phase of my sleep, so in my dreams, I will, I guess, process things from the previous day. Like you'll see yeah. recurring themes of things that have happened in my life. Yeah sort of presented in a weird abstract way. But yeah. I think in general, it just allows me to, or allows us to process things that way. It's exactly right. It's exactly what it's doing. Um, and that's part of the reason why it paralyzes the body. I mean, sleep should have been selected out from an evolutionary point of view. I mean, you were, it's for eight hours of the day or whatever, you were knocked out, paralyzed for a lot of it. You're open to predation. Most You're of not the animals, you don't see them that deep. Most no. other animals are never that deep in well, sleep. Don't horses stand up when they sleep? Too? Yep. Yeah, they do. And dolphins sort of have this ability to swim and they, they use one side of the brain and that's whatever. Oh, they alternate. Amazing. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they can st- keep... We're way behind the ball, aren't we? But, but it speaks to the supreme importance of sleep. Because from a purely biological point of view, it makes no sense. Yep. Why, why would the body select... Why would evolution we select that we have to stay asleep, knocked out, paralyzed for eight hours of the day? If it wasn't utterly important, totally needed for us, our functioning. And we see that when we, we look at um, sleep deprivation and obviously um, with the studies, but also un- unfortunately there's been times throughout history when they've, when they've done that to individuals. And you literally go into a state of psychosis because what's happening is... And we can speak to this in a sec What's with alcohol and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what's happening is you have this huge sleep pressure that, that builds up and this desire um, of the brain to go into REM sleep when we get these really crazy vivid dreams. And so what actually happens when we are super sleep deprived and we see those individuals is that that um, limbic system need to go through REM sleep 
it spills over into wakefulness. And so that's why it's delusional is it's going, mm. hey, we need to play around here and do all this different emotional stuff. And that's why they're seeing stuff and they're experiencing different things and everything right. like that. So it's literally will take over and make you... Because it's necessary. Because it's necessary. So, and then also we're, we're, we're storing information. Um, you know, learning is, um, you know, partly what you do when you read stuff and whatever, but it's also a lot to do with when you sleep. You store stuff. It's like a library. You put stuff back in the right area and stuff like that. Categorizes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because memory is encoding, storage, and retrieval. And we talk a lot about encoding and you've got to, uh, you know, hold attention to that sort of stuff. But storage is a really important part because you can't retrieve it until if it's not stored in the right area. So we've seen lots of studies with, with um, you know, eating kids like not getting sleep. So you sl- you study the whole way through the night and you, you know, have a go at the exam and they always do way worse than the, than the individuals that have studied less but sleep because it um, affirms the learning, it puts it in the right orders and that sort of stuff. Right. Um, with So eight hours is usually what your your doctors and your scientists say that it's you gotta you got to hit eight hours of sleep. So what we say is seven to nine hours. Right, that was my next question. Yeah. Is, there, is there a bit of give or take? There, there? is. Depen- there is. Dependent but on... how do you... So I guess my... I know you hinted that we'd get there, but I'm impatient. Mm. Um, with the alarms like how do you target and set the right amount of sleep for yourself yes so we we, i mean we can jump straight into that um so what yeah what we do say is that seven to nine hours is a good window for Mm. for most adults um children get more athletes need a bit more eight to ten sort of thing they they, they seem to have tapped into that yeah 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 (laughs) so um give or take um and so what actually happens? <clears throat> so let's let's take a bit of a deep dive to be able to answer that question. Is that what happens is your body has this internal body clock, right? Um, and it it's roughly twenty four hours, and it's it's a bit more. <clears throat> but what what happens is that you've got this internal clock that your body knows how to do stuff and when to release different stuff and different organs and and that sort of stuff, um, and then. It, it combines with your circadian rhythm. So you've got these couple of different clocks going in there. And so when we wake up in the morning um, and we are exposed to light, and we'll talk about that in, in a second, why that's one of the best things to do, is that we will reduce this chemical called melatonin. And a lot of people have probably heard of melatonin more in supplement form. Yep. Um, but it's a chemical in, 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 the, in the brain. Um, and it reduces that and then you get an increase in adrenaline and a few different other things and it goes, okay, it's time to time to be awake and we can do stuff. And then throughout the day, um, we then start building up this chemical called adenosine. And adenosine is kind of like this sleep pressure that goes, okay, it starts to increase and that sort of stuff. And then um, it gets to a certain level that we we that's what we feel a little bit more drowsy. And then towards the end of the night, melatonin starts being released and it starts increasing <clears throat> more and more and more. And that's when we're feeling a little bit more more sleepy. So then what, what we want to do is we want to regulate our circadian rhythm with our body clocks. And if we get that in tune, then our body chemically knows when to wake and when to go to sleep. And if we have that together um, more efficiently, then you don't really require um, alarms that that often. But the problem is, 
we, uh, you know, I say we, I think the common thing is that we change our sleep and wake times all the time. And to see this as the most evident example is jet lag. So what jet lag is, is literally your body clock being totally out of sync with your circadian rhythm. And your body's going, hey man, like this is some time to release some different things in, in the liver and stuff like that. And your brain's going, yeah, but there's all this light coming in. I'm supposed to be awake. What's happening? And then you feel totally off. Yeah. Because stuff is getting released at the wrong time. <clears throat> and so what sometimes we see is we call it um, uh, weekend jet lag. Um, where, <laughs> I get which I, you know, I do as well. Wimbledon jet lag. Wimbledon jet lag. And, and so I do want to preface that you want to live your life. We want to have a good time. This is all balanced. You know, you can live to 100 plus whatever and be like, well, that was a really boring life. Yeah. So it's all about balance. We want to find the middle <laughs> road. But in saying that, um, if we can, for the most part, the, so the number one tip is we really want to try and regulate our our, our time that we go to sleep, yep. our sleep and wake times. Mm-hmm. Because what will happen if you say if you do that for maybe a two-week period, if you relatively go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time, is that you will naturally start producing chemicals at the right time. Right. Right. This is interesting because I'm always fascinated by whenever I get back into my working schedule for the term. Yeah. It's always the same week by week and waking up at a certain time, usually going to bed at a certain time. Yeah. And I notice myself after about four, three or four weeks, wake up just before the alarm. Yep. You've got it. That's it. That's it. So thanks for that. That's, That's it. Yeah. That's like, it. I guess in, it's not something you think about, but in school, in high school or primary school, whatever. As kids, we're gen- you're up way more routinely and easily. Yeah, I guess that's a different body function, mm. but the routine is still there. Yeah, exactly, and in even more so, it's the quality is important. So we talk a lot about quantity of sleep, and we've said that about seven to nine, but the quality is. Um, slightly more I mean both are important but quality is more important obviously you can't have four hours of quality sleep and say that you're going to be fine but equally you can't have 10 hours and and have really poor quality and, and you're going to have issues so what happens is if that if we start doing that regular sleep and wake times is that when the chemicals start releasing in those um scheduled times is that your your stages of sleep start getting more synced up too in that you will be less likely to be at you know in those deep deep sleeps towards the end you'll start producing the right chemicals to rev it back up and then we wake up that's why we're waking up naturally right right and that feels far far nicer than than the opposite very good so the quality improves tremendously and that's what we really want to emphasize is that not only yeah it's great that you don't have to have an alarm and stuff but the quality (laughs) is hugely improved Mm -hmm. it's again like having emotional therapy for yourself first mental first aid by doing getting these deep REM sleep cycles right before we finish off with sleep are there any other aside from regularly having a regular set bedtime and a wake up time and trying to find that routine are there any other yeah there's a bunch heaps there's a bunch tombos tips (laughs) deep 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 topic so first the, the main thing is what we just covered there is in your best ability, try and regulate your sleep and wake times. Yep. Now, I know that there's stuff on the Wimby on, there's, there's different things on. Tuesday night social netball. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes it's just off at You want to have a good time? Yeah, 9 p.m. Yeah. 
you want to have a good time on the weekends, I get it. I'm, 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 none of this stuff is, you know, like dead set. This is what you got to do. But it's good to understand this to get um, the best well, sleep. Shades of grey. Like we can yeah. aim towards something without. Yeah. Exactly. So I just want to preface it with that. But if you can, and again, I'm not even the best example of this <laughs> as well, um, is that you know, try and regulate your sleep and wake times, yep. right? I mean, the average person say, you know, goes to bed 10, 10.30, they're going to wake up 6.30, 7 o'clock and whatever. That's fine. Try and regulate that. Um, the next most important thing is light. So our eyes are our light sensors. Mm-hmm. And when UV radiation hits the back of the eye, <clears throat> we start reducing melatonin because that is connected to our circadian rhythm. The circadian rhythm is obviously the, the rhythm of, of day and night. Yeah. And so when you wake up, really try and get early light exposure, 20, 30 minutes, fantastic, because that will prime the brain to reduce those sleep chemicals like melatonin and start producing more wake chemicals. Mm-hmm. And most importantly is it, um, it it shifts the brain into, okay, now it's it's daytime stuff. So therefore I have a I have a definitive time on when now I know that in X amount of time the sleep pressure is going to build up and then I'm going to fall asleep better. So if you're struggling with falling asleep at night, we need to get that light exposure at the at the at the first time in the morning right. because then that changes the schedule for all the other sleep stuff. So that's paramount is, um, and then, you know, I noticed that you guys have changed the um, studio here, that we've got a beautiful Yeah, we did here. a little swapperoonie. Um, yeah. So there's lots of research suggesting that if we can work in front of an open lit window, if you can exercise in front of an open uh, open uh, window or, or a, a, a lit room, yep. that's also going to help your sleep quality. It's going to help you fall asleep easier. Um, and so there's lots of people that specifically find um i I know matthew walker one of the premier um sleep experts in the world he talks about going sleep spurts sleep spurts spurts. that's (laughs) nice he talks about going to the gym he chose his gym based on that it faced east in the morning and work out in the morning so you know um a lot of people do yoga or sun salutations and stuff facing the sun Mm. in the morning exposure to the eyeballs is where all that happens that'd be a weird question to get as a gym owner is what orientation are you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but weird. you know the sleep basically proven spurt said it. but that's yep. interesting you start at the other end in a yep. sense you start back at the start that's correct and it kicks the whole schedule of chemicals mm. so again this is a beautiful um harmonious uh, uh schedule of clocks in the body yeah and so we start there get early light exposure 20 minutes or so in the morning um, and then that's going to enable you to fall asleep better at night. Um, the Another thing is temperature. We know that temperature um, modulates our sleep as well. Um, lower temperature is better. So, you know, sort of that 22 degrees is whatever is around there. We sleep better in, in winter, right? 100%. Um, and, you know, really unfortunate in lots of places in Australia. It's super hot. It's difficult. To it's difficult. <laughs> um, but there's wonderful things online where you can get um, cooling mattress aids, um, like a thing that goes on top of the mattress. 
that cools, really? cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. cool part of the mattress all night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and nice. that will improve your sleep nice. a lot. We know that temperature has a lot to do with the different chemicals being released and stuff. And you know, when we're really mm. hot and sweaty, it's it's hard to fall asleep, right? So try and have your room fairly cold and if that's difficult it's not you know super cold that's you know we're not dropping under 20 degrees sort of thing but if that's difficult then yeah there's some really awesome mats that go over the mattress that cools it down um what also helps there is if you have a warm shower Mm -hmm. or a hot bath or sauna at the end of the night or sorry end of the day i should say at night time because what happens is the body then dumps all this heat and it gets rid of all the heat because you've been hot for a period of time right? and it dumps it all and then you actually get a reverse, a cooling effect. So hot showers are really good at the end of the night to, to cool the body down. It sounds sort of counterintuitive. There you go. Might crank it up a notch tonight. Yeah. Be careful. And then cold <laughs> showers. <laughs> go slow. Cold showers in the morning wakes you up. <clears throat> Just yeah. Yeah. So sometimes frightening to get into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's a um people that know me um <laughs> really know that I love the cold showers and the ice baths and all the Wim Hof stuff. And Must be tough through winter, or do you get used to it? It's very tough through winter. <laughs> <laughs> very tough. Um, but back to the sleep stuff. So they're the first couple. Um, obviously. So with sorry, I did mean to mention with the light mm-hmm. is that dark darken the the room as much as possible. Right, so Le- LeBron is famous for if he goes to different hotels and stuff. I'm looking at you being the basketball lover. <laughs> That's his thing now. That's his thing. <laughs> see, you, see you at Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he blacks it out because he, it's so important to recovery in, in particular, you know, getting that with that deep sleep at the um, first start of, of the night. But as dark as possible. Mm. You know, it's really tricky when I when I talk to some of my young kiddos about and they've got night lights and there's different stuff there and it's 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 mm. tough. Um, but I really try and wean them off the the night lights and that sort of stuff. So as dark as possible, as quiet as possible, low temperature. Um, and then the other thing is um, that behaviorally is that we have this bizarre um, thing where people watch TV and they eat in their bed and they do all these different activities mm. in the bed. Now, the brain is really trying to be as efficient as possible. So it puts these schemas together to make it, it really efficient. You don't have to use all this, all these different resources. So if you're doing all these different activities in bed, the issue is that the brain doesn't know what it's what time it's supposed to be. Is it time to eat? Is it time to digest? Is it time to sleep? <clears throat> and so that is a big thing that I talk to clients about is as much as possible, the, the bedroom and the bed in particular is like this haven of sleep only sleep in there and respect it ritually that it's a place to sleep yeah. um, and that really decreases sleep latency at, at, at the end of the or at, at night so um, yeah trying it out of that and then you know on top of that try and we want some sort of a um, a decreasing or, or a down regulation um, routine when we are going to bed <clears throat> that's important because it's really hard to go from go, go, go and lots of stuff happening and light coming in. I mean, that's why we talk about the blue light and, and that's why we don't want devices and those different things. You can get different screens on your on your phone to reduce light. So have some sort of down-regulation time before you go to bed. Some people meditate. Yep. Some people read a book. Just have some downtime to allow these processes to, to start going so, through. So that will essentially tell your 
when you get into a routine with that, that'll essentially tell your brain and say to it, all right, we're, we're on for bedtime here. So if you continuously read a book, meditate, or whatever yeah. other things you mentioned. Brush your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you're doing Have that anyway. Have a sleep routine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have a sleep routine. I mean, and, and if you're struggling, people out there that, that struggle with sleep, and, and, you know, we all do at some certain times, is, yeah, do a little bit of maybe mindfulness and meditation. We can talk about that later. Um, a charcoal face scrub. That's, in that's your what you're into. Like. <laughs> and, and on that, like if you, I just want to say as well that if you've had really poor sleep mm. and you're going, because intuitively you're like, well, I've had limited sleep, poor sleep or whatever. I'm going to change stuff. Don't do anything. Don't, don't go to bed earlier. Right. Try and not sleep in as, as much as possible. Obviously, don't try and have a huge amount of caffeine and stuff in between. Is that because although that intuitively makes sense, is then you're putting out those rhythms and those clocks mm. a- again, and so you're actually making it harder for your body to produce the right chemicals at the right time to get that restorative sleep. It's fine; you'll eventually get it back, but don't try and go. Well, now I'm going to go to bed at nine o'clock instead. Of ten thirty, or or sleep in and try and catch up on. <laughs> yeah, a exactly. Hours. I mean, right. naturally, sometimes you might, um, but try and not do anything, right? right. Don't um, react too quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, and there's um stuff about caffeine and alcohol has an effect there. <laughs> as uh, as Tombo walked in today, <laughs> yeah. First thing I did it was very late in the afternoon. Make myself post lockdown. A post lockdown Macona. We know it's post four p.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Post lockdown, Macona. Late, 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 Jack. So whilst I was reading the notes here, um, caffeine, yeah, come to <laughs> fruition. Yep. And I've the, I did I the did heart rate suddenly that. jumped a beat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At at four p.m. Yeah. No earlier. I'm in trouble. Here. Yeah. I'm in big I'd like trouble. I like to have here. my first of the day. <laughs> yeah. I've got to be ready for the talk, you know. So, caffeine's really interesting. Yes. Here we go. <laughs> Drink caffeine, it's fantastic. Matt Walker talks a lot about um, consuming um, caffeine as well. Now, caffeine's really cool. So what actually happens is, if you recall earlier, I talked about this chemical called adenosine, mm-hmm. which is sort of the sleep pressure that builds up. So caffeine, although it works a little bit on the dopamine receptors as well, um, is its main thing is it kind of um, blocks adenosine from going into the receptors. So the beautiful analogy that Matt Walker gives is that it's kind of like you're going into a room to sit down and someone takes away the chair so you've got nowhere to sit. Yep. Right? And that's what caffeine does. Um, So it it doesn't make you, um, I guess, chemically less tired. Subjectively, you're less tired because what that subjective tiredness is, and and chemically what tiredness, tiredness is is the sleep pressure that builds up from adenosine so when your brain is doing all its different functions one of the byproducts is adenosine and so um, what happens is the caffeine says no mate this is my seat this is my receptor i've got it but all that adenosine is still sitting there but your brain doesn't know or you're not aware right so what happens is that's when we have this caffeine crash is that all of a sudden because caffeine has a half-life of about four to six hours and when that reduces, uh, then 
all that adenosine that has been sitting there plus all the other adenosine that's been building up all of a sudden finds receptors go to it and then we're like oh my goodness and we have this this crash so mm. many chairs in the room so, yeah exactly <laughs> well so many bums on seats <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's exactly right um so yeah so what we sort of say is that we should stop having caffeine about eight to ten hours before sleep right because that affects REM sleep in particular so where does that put you now Jack four plus eight I got another six hours to go yeah so no, then, and, uh, and make again, sure I don't catch up on my sleep tomorrow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and again, look, um, you know, stuff happens, and we've got yeah. to do stuff, and none of this stuff is black and white. But just as a general, like an understanding of people is that because you've got some people that are go, you know, I'll have a espresso after dinner and stuff like that, and 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 there is um, individual differences within people about how they their, their liver metabolizes right. the caffeine and stuff like that so yeah that's individual differences and they might say that they might fall asleep okay but their REM sleep is inhibited yeah and that's really really bad I mean that literally takes off years of your life wow um, yeah so yeah 8 to 10 hours before we go to sleep so obviously most people the average is 10 o'clock so midday is we want to reduce caffeine um yeah <clears throat> so that's yeah <laughs> that's really <laughs> throwing down down. <laughs> yeah um, yeah noted yeah. <laughs> yeah. well i guess i guess it's Yet good to be, to be cause i didn't know that and it's good to yeah, be we don't know this stuff <laughs> yeah i don't know this it's good to be conscious of these things i think and like you said you know you go out every now and then you might have a cocktail espresso martini whatever but mm. it's good to then come back during the week or whatever to to then make sure that you're doing these things right and getting back on the train again yeah, yeah, and and that's the problem is because what happens is it, you know they might fall asleep fine, but then the next day they're not feeling as refreshed because mm. they haven't had that either the deep sleep or the REM sleep in particular, and so then they'll compensate with different behaviours to I need more caffeine, I need to pick me up, and then you've got this huge tolerance and dependency effect that people go well don't talk to me before I have two shots of coffee in the morning. Well, we don't want to be dependent on anything. You know, that's a form of tyranny and we, we don't want to yeah. be involved in that at all. So, although they might fall asleep okay, they're definitely not getting restorative sleep and um, and then the cycle continues. Amazing. Well, the importance of sleep, absolutely paramount. Yeah. Um, Alcohol on that though, you did touch on that just before. <laughs> nervously. <laughs> nervously. Um yeah, not great for sleep, unfortunately. Well, alcohol's not great for a lot of things. We've but all felt yeah. that. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's But sleep, probably, would you say, the most detrimental thing? Yeah. Again, blocking that REM sleep. Um, and so, you, you notice that. Like, when you've had you, I'm just saying, maybe you've had a big night. On the drink, <laughs> and Don't have, look at me. have you have you ever noticed? <laughs> Don't point <laughs> Don't at me either. <laughs> have you ever noticed that towards the the end of that sleep, or or when you're getting closer to wake up, if you have these really vivid dreams, when you've had a big night on the alcohol, yeah, it's more vivid, right? And part of that is because that REM sleep has been suppressed, 
is that all of a sudden it's trying to get as much of it in as much as possible right at the end. And that's where you get these completely whack, vivid dreams. It's overloading. Yeah. Overloading and it's it's out there, it's it's whatever. So, I mean, unfortunately, the studies are still, you know, even with one glass of, of wine at dinner. Really? Um, impacts the REM sleep significantly. Um, yeah, so again, you kind of... I wonder if LeBron of, knows that. He's, all, he's like, a wine guy. Mm. I wonder yeah. if he's, so one he's, glass of wine. He's big one glass, sleep. yeah. Unfortunately. Now, again, I want people to live their lives. I have wine and stuff like that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just what the, the statistics, what the research yep. is showing us. So, um, and the other reason why I, why I want to mention that is um, during lockdown is that mm. we see huge amounts of, cons- of consumption of alcohol. And although... Well, tenfold nearly. It's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. And although, you know, we, we want to have a good time and... Um, and enjoy that because <laughs> I can't do much People else. People are chasing positive feelings. Yeah, but if we do that chronically, like ju- anything in, in biology, you know, apart from an accident or whatever, it's it's a gradual thing that, you know, if you just have one thing of fries and donuts, that, that's not going to happen. But if you do that periodically and chronically for a long period of time, you're going to get heart disease, right? Yep. And so in the same way that if you're consuming alcohol regularly, especially at night, then it is going to negatively affect your sleep in particular, your REM, and then it's going to compound um, these mental health um, issues as well. So if we're having some issues with, with depression, anxiety, and then we're trying to use alcohol as a nightcap, and alcohol is a sedative, right? <clears throat> so subjectively, people go, well, it puts me to sleep. Well, sedation is not the same as sleep, Yeah. right? Yes, you're going to be put to sleep, but it, you're going to have far more waking cycles throughout the night. Mm. You might not be aware of it all, but it's going to totally throw out. It's going to you're going to have a really fractured sleep, and so all throughout those those times, it's it's going to throw that out. So that's why alcohol is really not good for your sleep. You just wake a bunch of times. You don't always encode that to memory, but you're waking a lot, right? That's what the research shows us. So um, yeah, try and. Yeah, reduce our amount of, especially at night, reduce the amount <laughs> yeah. of alcohol if we're concerned about our sleep. Okay, that's a good good note um, to finish with. Now, mate, our last topic, um, which I guess potentially does link to sleep a lot as well. Yeah. Anxiety and stress. Mm-hmm. Um, the last of the three crunch topics we're going to go through. Um, but first... Can you define anxiety? And what I didn't quite know before yeah. this is there's there's different types yeah. of anxiety anxiety within that. Yeah. So clinically, you can't be diagnosed with anxiety. Right. <clears throat> so in the DSM, we have anxiety disorders, um, and there's a range of them. So GAD, generalized anxiety disorder, is probably what people most commonly think of when we think of anxiety. So generalized anxiety disorder being that there's a series of of excessive worries and ruminations over a range of different things, um, occupational, finances, relationship, all these different things. And the worry seems to be not specific to anything. It's it's generalized. Yep. <clears throat> then you've got, um, you know, separation anxiety where it's with a... Um, uh, caregiver or, or um, you know, commonly a parent or something like that. Um, you've got, um, you know, you've got your different panic disorders that's under there as well. Um, social anxiety is probably one that's really increased a lot. Um, and a key part of social anxiety is the 
um, excessive fear, marked fear of being negatively evaluated by others. Right. Would you? What's the most common one? Do you think? Um, I I think my understanding is that um, generalized anxiety disorder because it's kind of it's so comorbid um, with these other disorders it's and it's sort of hard to it's very high prevalence with um, depression and with insomnia I mean if you're worried about a bunch of things really hard to go to sleep Um, and very quick tangent on that Mm -hmm. Really good help that I forgot to mention with sleep is write down your stuff before you go. Write down your worries before you go to bed. Right. Write write it down in in your because then you're not ruminating over it at night. Write it down in a book and whatever, and deal with all your stuff. It's like closing all the tabs down on the computer. Close it all down. Deal with it. And then if you wake up in the night and you're thinking about this stuff, leave the room. Go write it all down, and then deal with that. <clears throat> so that's what we're seeing in um in these different anxiety disorders is this excessive worry about different stuff really hard to fall asleep and then you know with no sleep and worrying about stuff then we're also going to have a depressed mood or potentially have a depressed mood the next day so um, they are sometimes tricky to differentiate between them but they've got some um, specific differences that we look to 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 diagnose but importantly when we're talking about worry and anxiety i do really want to emphasize that it is totally normal to be anxious about something yep to that point if you didn't get anxious about anything that's probably a problem isn't it i would say that's abnormal yeah. <clears throat> it's a huge problem because what it is is this little thing in your brain called the amygdala and that's your threat detection system and that is so vital to your survival like that's why we have anxiety mm. that's why we have this um, fear detection <clears throat> is that it's totally it's it's constantly scanning the environment f- to detect threats. This threat detection system, and so if you didn't have that, then you know you, you would go up to the ledge and potentially I don't know fall off, or you would eat the poisonous berries, or you would do things that are um, you know not advantageous to your health <laughs> yeah. and well being. Or, or um, become very good at free climbing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> what's his name in free solo? I'm blanking on his name. Um, Alex. No, oh, Sonald. Is that it? Didn't I think that he's he's a mic in a study. His amygdala yeah, his amygdala is, is reduced. Oh, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. I mean, not good for your health and well-being, but epic for everyone to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's a very good point. So um, I really want to emphasize the fact that it is abnormal to not have any anxiety about anything, right? And the the more we care about something, the more we'll worry. You you won't worry about something if you don't care about it. Right, um, and so you know, everyone, everyone out there, like, <clears throat> please understand that you you should be concerned about some stuff because you care about it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What we are talking about, what the difference is between normal worries and anxieties and stuff, is when it becomes excessive. When it c- becomes excessive to the point where it negatively impacts your um, occupational well-being, your, your relationships, um, <clears throat> education, when it's, you know, what we say clinically um, uh, affecting your, your well-being. Yep. So it, it's getting in the way of doing stuff that you want to do, right? Um, <clears throat> we're over-ruminating over stuff so we're, we're not falling asleep and and um, we're taking a long time to fall, to fall asleep or we're avoiding different situations. <clears throat> we're, not, we're not doing those different social interactions, 
because they are because we experienced a marked elevation in arousal and anxiety and that sort of stuff um and it's a physiological effect and so you know there might be some people that maybe throw away depression or anxiety just going oh mate like just be happy or don't get nervous and whatever and that's really uh unhelpful for the individual like we really need to validate how someone's experience what they're what they're experiencing because it's especially in the case of stress and anxiety is it's physiological as i said earlier that you can't separate the two and that's why trauma is such a an all-encompassing issue is that what's happening there is an individual has detected a threat has experienced a hyper negative experience traumatic experience that has literally put them in a position where they have feared for their life or someone else's life um, and it's totally shattered their concept of reality or their concept of safety or self yeah. and stuff like that. <clears throat> that has a massive physiological effect, not just a psychological effect on the body. So what's actually happening is the amygdala sends a chemical response to the hypothalamus mm-hmm. and the hypothalamus releases a bunch of chemicals, one that you might have heard of, cortisol, right, to the uh, frontal cortex there. And the frontal cortex is our CEO, our operating system that we talked about earlier. And it's going, holy crap, there's a threat. Let's do something, right? Now, the problem is that then that the um, frontal cortex there gets hijacked. And so that's why in a threat situation, um, a fear situation, that rationality goes out the window. You know, there's some... um, distressing but amazing footage you know with with 9-11 people running in different directions and stuff and it's like you know what what's happening is that the operating system is turned off so you're not going to be making good decisions your logic center is is reduced you're totally irrational um, because you don't have the brain part that lets you rationally think Um, and we you know also see that when people are very frustrated as well it's like you can't you're not making rationalize with you them. would in another yeah, time you, or mood. You can't rationalize with them because they don't have the brain area, the the mechanism, the hardware right now. to do that. Yeah, it's it's inhibited, literally. And so the brain goes, well, hey, that's all that fancy philosophizing stuff. I don't have time to philosophize. There's a saber-toothed tiger here. We've got to do something. Survival time. Survival, <laughs> that's exactly. And so people have probably heard about fight, flight, or freeze. So, and the third one, freeze, that people might might not have heard of is that, well, a good case example is, you ever seen those fainting goats on oh, YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're frozen. They're frozen. They're frozen <laughs> because the, in in that way of the, the brain working, they're mammals just like us, is they're going, there's a um, genetic coding that says these predators like live prey. I'm going to act dead. I'm going to act frozen and then they're hopefully not going to eat me. Right. So individuals, um, <clears throat> humans experience that as well. So everyone's got a behavioral tendency. Some people fight and it's not always physically fighting, but they will upregulate and they will be argumentative. They'll be aggressive and because that's their way of dealing with the threat. And, and obviously today we don't have necessarily saber-toothed tigers coming at us, but we've got the aggressive boss or we interpret these different relationships in a threatening way. 
And so that's why people upregulate and they get aggressive and stuff. Other people flight is that they will just <clears throat> they will just take off and avoid and avoid, reduce, and they'll watch TV and do different stuff yeah. and just avoid the situation. So it's good to understand maybe what category you're more in and also what other people might want to do to give them space if that's what they're more inclined to do. Um, <clears throat> so the important thing is there is that. You are going back to old primal pathways. The front of the brain, the further forward you go in the brain, the more quintessential it is to being human. We have the largest prefrontal cortex of, of any, any animal and that's why we've got this logic and rationalizing ability. So it shuts that off. You, go, you, don't, you don't need to think of how the tiger's <laughs> feeling. you gotta, you got to run away, right? Um, <clears throat> so that's why we act very primal. Now, the problem is in our anxiety and stress um, disorders is that that pathway is chronically turned on and then we become hypervigilant. So we are misinterpreting threats as... So literally anything that could happen that may be a very minimal threat. Yeah. And, and also it's reinforced by these different cognitive biases that, you know, their beliefs of the, in the individual. And that's where a lot of the work that we might do within therapy is looking at these different beliefs, belief systems about themselves and about the world. Um, <clears throat> sorry, and that's where phobias and that sort of stuff is, is in that same category because they've got strong beliefs. And, but what's important is that when we have chronic stress and chronic worry, is that we are misinterpreting all these, especially social situations, in a hypervigilant manner. In individuals that have experienced trauma, physiologically, this is 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 wired that way, and, and it changes the physiology. It's it's immense, and so one of the massive epidemics right now is is trauma because it literally changes your brain structure. Your brain is going. I almost died then. We need to prevent this from ever happening again. Mm. And so these pathways are just keyed up and keyed up um, <clears throat> and and they actually get held in the genes. And that's why there's in, intergenerational trauma. Right. Term I've only heard pretty recently. Yes. And so if you've um, been, had the pleasure of working anywhere within indigenous populations, I mean, that's one of the major issues that people don't understand that because think about it, the whole point of, of your genes and passing on your genome to the next species is you're giving them the best tools, genetic coding to survive. Based Blue, on your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Blue, yeah, blueprint, whatever it's called, script, whatever, <laughs> to survive. Yeah. And so if you've experienced massive trauma, your offspring is then going to have some encoding Ready to try and, and deal with it. Yeah, and so when we're going, well, you know, what's... You know, can they just change? It's like, no, we've got to address that this trauma has happened in, intergenerationally at a genetic level. And so there, there's a whole lot of issues there. But what's important is to understand what's happening in the nervous system. So you've got this, you've got the central nervous system and then you've got the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system is called that because it's pretty much automatic. But now we know we can sort of tap into it a bit. So the autonomic nervous system then breaks off into two branches with the sympathetic parasymp- sorry, sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, the sympathetic nervous system, probably poorly named because that does all, a lot of the upregulation. It's not very sympathetic at all. No. <laughs> um, and it, it's your fight or flight <clears throat> 
So it goes, hey, we need to, you know, do something to reduce this this threat and stuff like that. Um, and then you've got this parasympathetic, which is a rest and digest system. So that's, again, this beautiful harmony in the body, always with this push and pull on and off type thing. And so, I mean, sympathetic system gets a bad rap because that's um, connected with, associated with the... Um, with the threat responses yeah. but you need it like, like anything you need to upregulate to do stuff right um, <clears throat> you need to when you run and, 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 and concentrate and do all this stuff you need upregulation as well as downregulation but when that becomes overactive and these individuals whether experience trauma or they're in a state of hyper worry or anxiety is that they are chronically uh, switched into or connect with the sympathetic nervous system. Yep. That system is on the whole of the time. So the parasympathetic is what we need to be able to connect to. And we see that individuals that experience trauma or anxiety really don't have a very active parasympathetic nervous system. Um, and And so what is the amazing nerve that sort of mediates a whole lot of that is the vagus nerve. And there's a lot of research out right now about the vagus nerve, the 10th cranial nerve. It's sort of vagus meaning wandering all around. It even sounds like a really important nerve, doesn't it? Vagus. vagus. Yeah, I think it's Greek for wandering or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's <probably> something. <clears throat> something like that. But um, it it's not, you know, linear. It wanders everywhere. Yep. It branches off and stuff and it goes from the, the um, uh, brainstem there, back of the ear and all the way down through... Um, your midsection here and it and it goes through the diaphragm and and all the way down to the gut with that gut brain axis and that's again why this gut brain axis is so important and there's some wonderful research <clears throat> right now with the vagus nerve and how to switch more into this parasympathetic rest and digest system and a, and a big one of that from memory i think you mentioned it the last interview we had was types of breathing yeah exercises which i think we're going to come to at the end of the podcast yeah. soon tune in some some live um method breathing yeah. methods we techniques can we can do that um but before we do um stress yeah um the difference between anxiety and stress and there's good stress and there's bad stress there is yeah so everyone's going to experience something stressful so that means that there's some sort of adverse situation in that is slightly uncomfortable for us to move through <clears throat> which you know is, is used a lot of times interchangeably with anxiety but anxiety is that excessive worry um in in some disorders it's specific to some things but it's excessive worry and, and, and rumination um, that inhibits normal functioning whereas stress everyone experiences different stress so this is important when it comes to when we're obviously talking about with lockdown and stuff like that when we um, are inhibited into our options of what we can do that's a that's why we've seen such an increase in um uh, referrals and, and mental health um, difficulties. Well, it's and like stuff. a lifeline stat. As <clears throat> yeah, well. exactly. Because well, we want freedom. We want to be able to do things and stuff like that. But most importantly is when control is taken away from the individual. And we talk about this locus of control. When that's taken away, that's really stressful. That induces stress because it means that we can't um, do exactly what we want to do. And then all these other things happen. So, But what's important is that there there's good stress and bad stress as you said so good stress and um maybe a different way different term is hormetic stresses 
very, very good, very, very beneficial. Um, so these hormetic stresses are like your exercise. Yep. So because we are engaging in a stressful activity, <clears throat> the body is going, geez, we're running away from this tiger. We've got to release a bunch of endorphins so you feel good when you're running because I don't know how long you're going to have to run away from this tiger. So let's feel good. Let's <laughs> upregulate this, these different systems. Let's, let's um, re- release these, these w- wonderful different things in, in, in the body because we need to be at our best capacity to run away from the threat. Okay, so obviously you're not going to run. I mean, some people run for, you know, I don't know, 10 hours to do this crazy stuff, <laughs> not, not go there. But the the good amount of stress for a short amount of time, and that's how we define when it's good stress. It's it's time sensitive. So you know it's for a short amount of time. Yep. And it's beneficial in that you're doing it for a specific outcome. And so exercise is good like that. Um, fasting, fantastic. Um a hormetic stressor that your body's going, oh, yeah, you know, might need to upregulate some stuff. And so the defense mechanisms in the body through the um, sirtuin pathways and different stuff. It's a bit of a reset. Stuff. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah. Um, and, and connected to longevity as well. Um, and then, you know, the cold and hot, uh, you know, with the ice baths and the um, saunas, a whole lot of research around that. And that's a hormetic stressor. Very good for the body's natural defense systems to ramp up. And so we really do want to engage in good stressful activities. And even within occupations and stuff, if you know that, you know, like it is a bit stressful, I've got to meet this deadline, but it's time sensitive. I know that I've just got to do it for this period of time and it's going to benefit me. I know that I need to nail this presentation or or do this report or whatever, and it's going to benefit my occupation. It's going to benefit me personally. They're good stresses. Yep. And we want to be in some level of un- uncomfortability every single day. That's very good, um, which is different to being uncomfortable in a chronic, unhelpful way. Going into bad stress. Yeah, so that's bad stress, is that it's chronic, meaning it's not time-sensitive, it's ongoing, um, and it's not productive. It's not helpful. Right. Yeah. So don't be afraid of the word stress in certain Engage senses. in stressful activities daily. It's very healthy for Pu- the brain. public speaking. Would be what would we want a good stress? Would it be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that's like um, interesting. Yeah, I was just trying to think of something in my head. Just, yeah, it? well, that's always like in the top whatever numbers of um most uh feared people hate it. Yeah, things to do. Um, yeah, and and the reason they hate it is you got a whole bunch of chemical signals from the brain going. Yeah, if I stuff this up, then my Brain goes on the social hierarchy that goes down and therefore it's not good and the threat detection goes off. And so, yeah, it's a real thing. Um, Not for everyone. I'm not going to say go (laughs) to public speaking. Um, I like it, but... I don't know why it came of me, but... um, um, But maybe start with a cold shower (laughs) or some exercise. I was actually going to suggest that. Maybe Gussie and I should try a little cold shower tomorrow morning. Not together. <laughs> that's fine. If you wanted to do that, we don't Jack? live together, Jack. We'd have to drive. That's right. That's right. Um, some tips, mate, to reduce yeah. stress. Whether or not we're going to be doing that now, yeah, yeah, yeah. we can do it. What What are they um, for for the listener? So, um, and are you going to also be talking us through through this yeah. for the listener to yeah. engage in? Exactly. Um, and if you are listening out there, get ready to if you want to. Do it with us. Yeah, you can definitely do it. Not so, in your car, though. Uh, yeah, no, not when you're driving. No, okay. <laughs> important. Yes, important yes. note. Good disclaimer there, Jacko. 
Um, yeah, so um, firstly, um, I reckon where we'll start is if we're looking at um, especially anxiety, what's a really helpful thing to do with anxiety is something called progressive muscle relaxation. Heard of it? PMR? No. No, I don't think cool. I have. Yep. So what it is, is you progressively tense parts of your body and then release. And you can do it for a range of different things. Um, I like to work the, like with clients. I might instruct them to work up. Really helpful for anxiety, especially because a lot of anxiety, there's this um, <clears throat> you know, overthinking, ruminating, going over and over and these different worries and stuff. So it sort of helps to break up that loop as well. Um, and give control back to the individual. So again, when, excuse me, with, with everything that's happening here is we want to provide awareness to the frontal cortex. So the issues is that the, fr the frontal cortex is being inhibited <clears throat> and we're just going to limbic system, we're going to primal pathways and we're just, you know, an ape <laughs> running yeah. around, even though, you know, apes are obviously extremely intelligent. But um, the important thing is we want to reconnect the frontal cortex. So we do that by engaging these different senses. That's where mindfulness has really come in. So, Trek, can we just give it a go? Give I'm it a ready. <clears throat> All right. Hopefully, cool. hopefully the listener's ready as well. Yeah. All right. If not, pause, maybe come back when you are. Yep. <laughs> Out of the Technology. car. Yep. Technology for you. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, find yourselves in a comfortable seated position. Hold on. <laughs> Slouch <laughs> McGee over there. Yeah. <laughs> and I get myself up there. Really want to give a wonderful shout out to that mustard coloured sweater there, mate. Thank you. It's beautiful. It's quite good. I like it. Mm. Thanks, um, guys. Okay. So <laughs> um, we are comfortable. So, first off, and you can close your eyes if you want to do this um, to really enhance some of the other senses. Yep. So eyes closed and I'm going to ask you to now tense, squeeze your feet. So you're just trying to put pressure in your feet there, squeezing your toes together and you're holding that pressure. Really squeeze your feet, hold it and then release. And then we're going to move up to our bum, our glute. So squeeze the glute as strongly as you can, as tightly as you can. Squeeze it. And then release. And then let's go to our hands. Let's make a fist. Squeeze the fist tightly. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. And then release. And let's work up to our face, scrunch up the face, really get weird with it, scrunch it up, pull a weird face and release. And let's do the final one. We call it our third eye for the yogis out there, but right in the middle of your forehead, really put pressure there, squeeze the pressure in between or just above the eyes there and third eye, squeeze, 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 build up the pressure front of your forehead there squeeze and release and open and open <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to see him the face scrunching <clears throat> yeah I get thought about with it. that but I thought I'll buy into it and I won't look at Jack's face <laughs> I'll just scrunch my own 
Yeah, and we, we went through that fairly quickly. Um, yep. Obviously, you know, five to ten seconds for each squeeze. You can go through far more. I just wanted to go through four or five, but you can go through systematically from feet up to up to your head right. and finish up there. Um, and especially squeezing in that um, third eye there, you, re- you release some, some pretty funky things up there. Mm. Yeah, so that's, that's really cool. I feel still. It's good, Gus. I'm happy for you. Thanks. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. You feel relaxed. So that's a really good one if you're feeling a bit anxious. Yeah. Really good one. PMR, progressive muscle relaxation. Really good. Um, let's do um, breath work. Yeah. This is one I'm very interested in. Yeah. Yeah. So um, big fan of breath work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what I try and engage in every single day. Now, this is based on our understanding with the vagus nerve and a lot of research coming out with the Navy SEALs and the RAF um, dealing with the most threatening situations, life or death, you're in the military, um, <clears throat> is that a lot of them are trained in diaphragmatic breathing so diaphragmatic breathing is using your diaphragm to breathe because the vagus nerve inserts down there in the diaphragm so what we've found is that by the wonderful thing with breath is that you can go from the internal experience to the external to the external experience and you can modulate your breath which is one of the only things that you can do that's part of the autonomic nervous system and the central nervous system if you don't think about it you're going to breathe if you do think about it, you can change your breathing. So yep. it's really a beautiful gateway to the internal senses. So we know that with diaphragmatic breathing, it's going to reduce stress by tapping into that parasympathetic nervous system of rest and digest. Okay. <clears throat> so let's explain it very quickly. Um, is that um, what we can do is that to, to if you know, for the listeners out there, put your hand on your chest hand on your stomach so just take a couple breaths and just try and notice what goes up and what goes down do you breathe more with your chest or with your belly probably chest yeah well definitely i'm watching you guys yeah and and we all do i was gonna say belly (laughs) yeah actually you were better than jack Um, not that it's a competition hint here and then up, yeah. the belly engages. And it's tricky when you bring conscious awareness to it. But m- commonly, most people breathe. We've learned to breathe quite shallow with our chest. Okay, And so we want to breathe deeply with our diaphragm. Singers and that sort of stuff get trained in doing doing that. So you're going to be able to bring in more oxygen. You're going to re-oxygenate the blood, more red blood cells, hemoglobins, all that sort of great stuff. Um, but importantly, diaphragmatic breathing switches to that parasympathetic rest state. Right. So now just quickly, the the diaphragm really regulates arousal a lot. Um, and is that a funny word? <laughs> he looked at me. He looked at me. <laughs> you were already looking at me waiting for States the States of arousal. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to increase your arousal, so if you sometimes you want to maybe upregulate if you're yep. feeling that postprandial nap that you get at the end of the you know, after lunch and that sort of stuff. If you want to upregulate it very quickly, inhaling, if you inhale longer than you exhale, you will upregulate and you will start releasing some adrenaline, norepinephrine, Mm. that sort of stuff. So very quickly, Mm -hmm. this is going to sound weird, but this is what you can do. So you're going to inhale longer. So you go, and just do two small little breaths out. And if you do that rapidly, so just do it now, Get weird with it. Yeah. 
Gee, imagine if you're just tuning in now. Yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah. But just now, no, notice yeah. what your brain is yeah, feeling. I'm perked. Yeah, you're, I'm actually yeah. You're up. That's interesting. So yeah. physiologically, is that just because, <laughs> is that a system that would kick in if you needed some fight or flight or you needed to get juiced up? Yeah, so so your, your diaphragm re- regulates get that. Get, yeah, so it has a huge ability to, to regulate and we won't go into it. But just in terms of if you need to increase, if you need to increase arousal levels, breathing in much longer then breathing out will increase your arousal. Now, the opposite's true. If you exhale longer than you inhale, you'll calm down, you'll reduce. So you can go, you can do two quick breaths in and then a long exhale. Right? Just as a quick intervention. Now, if you do that, you know, 10, 20, 30 times, you're going to have a huge change mechanically and chemically in, in, in the body, okay? So, it's a good little intro to, to people if they want to do that. Now, the one that, that everyone's talking a lot about that, uh, that you've probably heard me talk about is Wim Hof, Wim Hof breathing. Now, he's sort of changed the game in, in, in the exposure of it. So, a lot of these um, breathing techniques are thousands of years old from the Eastern cultures. The East uh, are just amazing in their knowledge of the body. Um, West, we think that we're the be all and end all, my smarter. <laughs> and no, that's mindfulness, meditation. It's all come from the East. Yeah. Um, and the more the more that we understand, it's they've got a lot of stuff right, and and we've we've got a lot to learn. So Wim obviously did a bunch of different yoga breathing and stuff like that, and he brought to the world and you know he was in ice and stuff like that and he goes this is how i reduced um my um <clears throat> i guess his, his arousal levels when he was in the ice like you know that's hyper hyper arousing um <clears throat> and so that is one of the best protocols that i've seen because it sort of combines everything as well because you've got a little bit of um pmr in there as well so um let's first get us diaphragmatic breathing right <clears throat> So hand on and chest. And for the listeners. And for the listeners, hand on chest, hand on stomach. And just to make sure that we know how to belly breathe or diaphragmatically breathe, let's try and keep our chest still and our belly, let's increase our belly. So when you breathe in, your belly is going to expand and hopefully our chest will remain still. So you can watch... You guys can watch me. The listeners can't. But watch how much <laughs> my stomach expands. So I breathe in. Yep, that's going out at the bottom. So my stomach gets really expanded, blows up and like no a balloon. no movement in the chest. No movement in the chest. So with the little kiddos, like I talked to them about balloon breathing and stuff yep. like that, you're trying to blow up the balloon in, in, in your, your belly. belly. Right. Okay? So deep, yep, breathe deeply. <clears throat> yep. And it takes a bit of practice. But once it... Once you work it out, it's really easy. And this isn't, you know, the thing that I showed earlier, like it's really easy. Like you, when you get that interoception of it and you understand it, you can do it straight away. You'll never forget it. You'll be able to do it. Yep. It's a sense, right? Um, so people do box breathing. When they go, they breathe in for five seconds, they hold for five seconds, and then they release for five seconds. Excuse me. That's, that's one way that, you know, that's a good way to do it. <clears throat> you can do it like that. But I kind of like how Wim, Wim does it. So he does... 30 breaths in and he does equal inhale and exhale um <clears throat> you do 30 breaths yep and then you exhale everything 
So when we exhale everything, the carbon dioxide builds up, but you've got plenty of oxygen in your brain there. So it actually tells the brain to, at the start, to, to release, uh, to, sorry, to relax and to calm down, and we slow down our heart rate. Because the opposite's true. When you breathe in a lot and you hyper-oxygenate, your heart rate elevates. So we're actually reducing our, our heart rate, we're relaxing and that sort of stuff. And when you have no oxygen, and you, you totally um, exhale everything, um, <clears throat> it's sort of telling the brain um, to, that you can actually hold your breath longer than when you had it all in there because it's right. saying the opposite, right? And so you try and, I mean, his stuff, you can hold it for a minute or you can go further and go up to four minutes or whatever it is, whatever you feel comfortable, but you don't After actually... Exhaling. Yeah, exhale completely. So you do 30 breaths and do it regular. You know, you're trying to inhale, there's no gap, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, trying to get it really as a rhythm. And then you breathe all the way out. And then you hold for a minute, two minutes, whatever you can do. Um, work your way up. <clears throat> you don't need, you'll breathe. <laughs> don't worry, you'll breathe <laughs> if you really need to breathe. But you can go a lot longer than that. <laughs> don't worry. I'll really but try caution, and hold this one. <laughs> caution to everyone. Like, just do a minute and, and go slowly. Don't push yourself up. to don't the extreme. Don't push yourself up. Right. Just, you know, even if it's 30 seconds, that's fine. Um, and then after that time, then you take a huge deep breath in and then you hold and you press at the front there and you hold for like 10 seconds and release. Do you want to give it a go? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to do the 30 or do you just want to do, say... Maybe like a, an abbreviated <clears throat> version of it. 15. Yeah. Okay, cool. For all the listeners out there. Talk us through just, it. Just, you know, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hear the breath. Okay, so, yeah. so to reiterate, normally you would do a protocol of 30 breaths. Regularity is key. Try and get into a rhythm. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out, right? You can do it at your pace, right? But you want to get a full breath in. <sighs> Work to your own rhythm. After you've done the 30, then we're going to fully exhale. Hold. Hold on the exhale. Breathe all the way out. Hold for a minute. And then we're going to take a big breath in and we're going to hold and have the pressure at the front of the brain for 15 seconds. Okay. Okay, let's do 15 breaths. Okay. All right. <clears throat> working, we with, working with you. Okay, here we go. So, breathing in. Yep, keep going. Deep breaths in. I'll instruct you through it. So, yep, keep going. Yep. And really try and open up. Try and use that diaphragm. Breathe all the way in. Deep and all the way out. All the way in. And all the way out, really try and expand the belly, expand the chest really deeply. Cool. Let's do five more really deep, deep, and all the way out. Deep, and all the way out. All the way out. One more big breath, all the way out, and then exhale completely, and hold. And hold. And now just become aware. Become aware of the blood flowing through your body, through your fingertips. And just relax. Surrender and keep surrendering, relaxing. Try and slow down that heart rate that you've noticed. 
and just become aware of your body. And breathe all the way in. (laughs) Yep, breathe all the way in. All the way in. Hold and hold, hold and press. Press, press, press. Press at the, yep, press the the pressure in your head. Press um, in your um, forehead there, your third eye. Press, 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 press. And release. Gee whiz. Cool. (laughs) How was that? How do you feel? Good. I was about ready to tank right at the end. Sorry. I was waiting for a call to, to stop. I didn't realize. <laughs> Sorry. Well, um, 30 seconds. I thought you guys could go longer. Sorry. But um, no. <clears throat> yeah, Actually, no, really well done. Immediately, it's interesting. Probably the most difficult thing. Like my body didn't need it, but my brain said, you definitely need to breathe. Like immediately I yeah. exhaled and it's like, here we go. Yeah, I was sort of having to physically hold it. Yeah, exactly. And so you kind of get used to that. And um, I think like I've done up to like four minutes and that sort of stuff. And you you just get used to, you just relax and surrender, 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 relax. And you actually don't need to breathe for a long time. Your body, your your brain might go, but but you don't need to. And that's that continual surrender and and relaxing and becoming aware Mm. of your sensations and stuff like that. Um, So you do a couple of rounds of that. You know, do three rounds of that. That's yep. fantastic. Um, and that has a huge amount of fact. It's a cardiovascular workout as well because you're pumping the blood through and doing different stuff. So it's a great workout there. Um, and you're releasing um, endorphins and opioids as well by um, pressing in the brain there. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it really gets you in that relaxed state. Amazing. That was yeah. good, mate. That was good. Um, Thanks, Tombo. Hopefully the listeners no too will um, take note of that and maybe engage in some breathing techniques. yeah um if you really want to just go to youtube and youtube wim hof guided breathing yeah there's 11 minute video that's Easy fully that. guided fully guided yep <clears throat> check that out or there's a bunch of different um, apps out there with breath work awesome. so um that's a big one amazing man that that pretty much wraps us up in terms of the topics we want to talk about depression sleep anxiety and stress yep um going to quickly run back through them mainly just to go through the different tips yeah um very important very that's the biggest take home for the podcast today is not only did we want to get insight Mm. a deeper dive go down a bit of a rabbit hole but also give the listeners a bit of guidance in terms of what they can do about certain situations yeah going back to depression um so for me the biggest take homes from this um was the importance of aerobic exercise. Yep. 20 minutes. Yep. <clears throat> I mean, and that, that average thing is trying to engage in 180 minutes of exercise weekly. Yep. Um, so that's a big one. Um, and the importance of fiber in terms of your gut health. Yep. <clears throat> Legumes, beans, that sort of stuff. So, And also be diverse in terms of the, the foods that you're eating. Within, yeah. Within that. Diversity is number one thing for um, gut health and um, fermented foods. The importance of sleep. Yeah. You know, um, so there's a few things within sleep that you would recommend to do before bed. The biggest take home for me was sleep regulation. Yeah. Um, would that be the most important, do you think? Yeah, try and regulate wake and sleep times as much as possible. 
Um, try and go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time as much as possible. Yep. Um, and then getting light exposure to the eyeballs early first yeah, thing I'm in the morning. Get into something yeah. morning. <clears throat> yeah, and and if you can work in front of a, a um a window. Mm. Yep. Try and <clears throat> work in, in a space where you're getting natural sunlight. So when you're sleeping to be sleeping in as dark a room as possible. As dark as possible. When you cool. when you awake, lights are yep. windows lights are, are open. Are on, yeah. That's it, and and UV light, not not artificial light. Yeah, and know. and then a few simple things with that is avoid your screen time. Yeah, um, caffeine was a big one. <clears throat> yep. Alcohol. Yeah. Um. So caffeine to avoid. Eight to ten hours before, before you sleep. So Activities right. in the bed. No, no. Eating in the bed. No, no. No. <laughs> Movies. <laughs> Movies. No. Netflix. Probably not. No. Okay. Phone. No. Um. Yeah. So a reading, pardon. Reading. Reading. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. Borderline. I mean, try and not do it in the room. Do it somewhere else. But yeah. Yep. Just try and literally when you go to bed, it's like because when your head goes hits the pillow, it knows it's time to sleep. I don't do anything else here. It's time to sleep. Now, obviously, everyone being um, you know, especially if they're in healthy relationships, there's other stuff happening there. And there's actually some really um positive, helpful research with um, especially especially with engaging in sexual activities before bed and for sleep. It actually really does improve sleep. There Won't go. go into that, but <laughs> there you go. Another time. Another time. <laughs> there you go. It's good stuff. Um, and lastly. Uh, in terms of anxiety and stress, mm-hmm. um, the biggest take-home for me is that anxiety, some anxiety is good for us. Some yeah. So, and some stress is good. So there's good yeah. stress and bad stress. Yeah. And engage, try and engage daily in some sort of, when we say hormetic stress, there's some sort of good stress. Mm. Very good because the natural defense systems in the body ramps up. It's very, very good to engage in some sort of good stresses. Obviously, we talked about exercise. Um, the difference in temperature yep. um, is very good. Um, some sort of fast is obviously very, very good as well. And just challenging yourself, mm. being out of your comfort zone. We're, we're creatures of comfort and it's not very helpful for the brain. So challenge yourself, learn different things, do different stuff um, and engage in different activities. But turn that system on and off. Yeah. Yep. Practice turning it on and off rather yep. than, than just one mode, definitely. And the last being... Um, some really interesting and cool breathing techniques yeah which we just went through so there was three <coughs> that we did yep the first being pmr yep sorry that wasn't a breathing technique that was more of a progressive muscle relaxation yes. yep um our wim hof yep breathing technique and the other one being mental blank here well with diaphragmatic breathing diaphragmatic is, is breathing involved is in all of that but right. one thing that we didn't that we we won't really go into but um mindfulness and meditation yeah huge big yep. big fan of meditation so just in terms of like a, a routine that i don't always engage in but I'll, I'll try my best in in the morning as you wake up and you get that light exposure you're out you're outside um ideally try and do some some light exercise or some sun salutations or whatever in front of the sun there little light bit of yoga very very fantastic get the body moving um then do some some diaphragmatic breathing um if you can get in to some cold water fantastic (laughs) we'll give it a go yeah yeah (laughs) gets the body body going um and then before you engage in some attentional activities like if you work or study or whatever is 
priming the brain to start being able to focus and that's kind of what different mindfulness and meditation practices are right. is you're focusing on your breath or you're focusing on one thing so you can you know have have a good brekkie and get plenty of um carbohydrates in the brain there because your brain needs glucose to operate so if you want to think have some carbs good glucose yep um and then prime the brain to focus and do that by doing some sort of brief mindfulness or meditation and practice. it doesn't take it sounds like a lot, but it only takes what ten to fifteen minutes of of maybe meditation is is very much helpful. Or would you recommend a little bit longer? <clears throat> Look, anything is good. Depends what you're doing. There's multiple different types of meditation. I, I really like transcendental meditation, but that's sort of really shutting off the front of the brain and and you go into that deep sort of hypnotic state. So um, it's not great to go into that quickly or come out of it quickly. So yep. that sort of protocol might take me about 20 minutes. Um, but just anything, just if, if you're sitting there and just simply bring your attention to your breath and you do that for five minutes, I mean, it's really hard to focus just on your breath for 30 yeah. seconds. Really hard. And so it's, um, you know, and there's lots of wonderful studies showing that doing that for, I think, three months, was it, that we actually had new... Um, neural connections in the brain new synaptic connections in the frontal cortex so literally your ability to focus has improved and it, it's it's like lifting weights when you lift weights you get more muscle fibers and you're stronger that's yep. the same thing in the frontal cortex there that you can train your brain to focus and that's a lot of the work i do with um some of my kiddos with adhd is that i'll have to you know try and really help them to learn how to focus amazing well if you're listening and you came this far um, hopefully you got a bit out of this one. I'm sure you did. Yeah, well done. For yeah, maybe break it up a bit and come back to it. But but yeah, we really wanted to um, provide a you know some so a lot of good information, but some practical tips that people can come back to. They can re-listen to it. Then go, okay, maybe I might need to do that. Yep. I might need to do this. Yeah, particularly um, with the nation coming in and out of certain lockdowns, yeah. and, and it's yeah, it's it's a tough thing to be to be locked away and, and restricted yeah. of certain privileges or whatnot. But hopefully today's chat maybe an opportunity to practice some new techniques yeah, exactly give them a go yep. um, can't hurt trying no um, can't. Tombo once again thanks for coming in taking your time to share this mes message share some information and some tips along the way tips and tricks I've learnt a lot in this one me too <laughs> 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 no, thank, thank thank you guys like this platform is so wonderful to be able to share this and, and as you know i'm so passionate about this this is you know you know quite deeply um you know part of me and um you know i was really touched with how many people sort of reached out recently mm. with the you know put some stuff on social media and reached out and dm me and stuff for some tips and that's you know really want to thank you guys for providing this platform that people can access this information so no it's you. a it's a good message and awesome. also a very important message to send and it's also a podcast that you can keep coming back to listen yeah. over again if you hit those numbers <laughs> if you so please smash that like button <laughs> <laughs> subscribe yeah. like subscribe download yeah. um, no but it's all it's timeless it's, just, exactly. it's one of those things don't be afraid I think for myself even sometimes a refresher like yeah. we can be so caught up in oh I've heard that before that's fine Yeah. don't be afraid to just refresh it come back to it definitely I find that so useful so yeah. I will be coming back to this one myself as a listener wow Amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. See you there, Jack. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> how about I cook for you boys and we get some awesome fiber some into the gut. Unbelievable. Can't wait for some tacos. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> All Thanks, right. Thanks, boys.